y'all. Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, C. Hey, welcome, McKemini. Now, where is Michelle? Is she out there doing what she needs to do for St. Louis? She's out there holding it down for the loo, and she couldn't be with us today. Yeah. No worries. You guys, do us a favor and lift up Michelle in prayer and also the people working so hard in the city of St. Louis to bring about real change. Yes, Yes, please do. Hold her down in uh, prayer. Uh, Well, today it is our Black Girl Magic interview episode. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So you guys will never guess who we have at the table. Our Black Girl Magic Spotlight is on Latasha Morrison. Holla! <laughs> yes! Hey, now, Tasha. Hey, Tasha. Hey, girl. We're good. So let me tell y'all a little bit about Tasha, okay? Tasha is a bridge builder, reconciler, and compelling voice in the fight for racial justice. When she speaks, she expresses a passion for social justice. She has taken this message to audiences across the country at different events that include the If Gathering, the Justice Conference, Youth Specialties, Catalyst, Barna's Pastors Conference, the Orange Conference, and many more. Now, as a native of North Carolina, Tasha attended East Carolina University. She also has an MBA. She served as Children's and Next Generation Director and recently served on staff at Gateway Church Central in Austin, Texas as the operations pastor. In addition to her church position, she has simultaneously cultivated Be the Bridge, a ministry to equip and provide tools for those who are actively involved in taking the next steps toward racial solidarity. At the heart of this incredible woman, Tasha uses her platform to to encourage racial reconciliation among all ethnicities, to promote racial solidarity in America, and to develop others to do the same. Mm. When not captivating audiences with her dynamic presentations and conscious raising workshops, praise God, Tasha can be found exploring (laughs) her hometown of Austin, Texas, drinking tea, laughing with friends, and viewing Christmas movies, and listening to Christmas music all year long. (laughs) So welcome to the table, Tasha. We are honored to have you with us. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for the invite. Thank you so much for sitting at the table with us, sis. I mean, we appreciate your work, and we were like, we need to get her at the table. For sure. I'm glad to be at the table. Yes. Thank you so much for, um, you know, taking time out for little old us. And so talk to us, just um, tell us more about yourself. Tell us about your, your own testimony and how you came to faith and who you are, who makes uh, Tasha who she is. Yeah. You know, um, I think one of the things that makes me um, Tasha is, mm-hmm. um, you know, just it's, it's kind of weird when you say a black person who didn't grow up in the church. But I'm actually mm. one of those that didn't go up, grow up in the church. Um, mm. I went to church, you know, on um, Easter, Christmas, and you know, no, normally people right. say um, we. I didn't go to church on Christmas because in the black church we don't have Christmas services. We're at home cooking, <laughs> so mm-hmm. so we went on um, Easter and Mother's Day. That was a big time to go uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and stuff like that um, with my grandparents. But um, I have, a, you know, my grandparents, I, when I went to church, I went to church with my grandparents. So I do have that experience of, you know, during the summer when I was with grandparents, you know, being in the choir during the summer and different things like that. But that wasn't my background. And um, 
when I became a Christian in college. And so okay. I grew up really diverse. My father was in the military. Uh, my grandfather was in the military. I'm from a, a town in North Carolina called Fayetteville. Some people call it Vietnam. Um, oh, okay. It's right mm. outside of um, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, um, military oh. base, 82nd Airborne, home of 82nd Airborne. And both my father and my grandfather both were um, um, paratroopers there. And, okay. so, and and that's important for my upbringing because, um, you know, being from a military town, it was so diverse. And so my neighborhood was diverse. Um, my school was probably about 13% minority, which for a lot of people, that's, um, you know, that's pretty diverse when you look at, you know, the population yeah, yeah. in that sense. And so I grew up... <clears throat> You know, knowing knowing when I went to my friend's house down the street, I had to take my shoes off, um, you know, at the door, you know, my Asian friend down the street. Yes, you know, yes. so I understood that. So I, I, I grew up around different cultures. You know, my neighbor, both of my neighbors look different from one another. So that that right there, that um, how I was brought up really equipped me um, for the for this work. But, you know, it was even in that. Um, I felt like it was a real, a box because when I went to college and, you know, um, yeah. when I went to college and I became a Christian, that's when my life became, um, very segregated. Mm. Um, you mm. know, but even in my, my, um, uh, my high school, I was a leader. I was always in leadership development and all those different types of things and ran for class office. And, you know, I'm running for class office, you know, my, I remember one of my speeches was, you know, it's time to make a change. <laughs> <laughs> and so, ah, yeah, and it was really one of the things that I wanted to change was that we never um, honored Black History Month in, in, in within my high school. And so um, I was going to lead the charge to really um, speak to that in high school. So the threads of what I'm doing now has always been there. I just didn't see all the puzzle pieces yeah. um, like that until when I look back now. And so in college, I became a Christian through an organization that reached out to um, students that were on predominantly white campuses. Um, East Carolina's predominantly white campus. Um, you have intervarsity. We had intervarsity, but mainly their reach was to during that time. I'm not going to date myself, but during that time was <laughs> <laughs> to white students are either students that um, intersected into some of the um, the white programs and stuff like that. And so um, when I became a Christian, this this um, ministry called New Generation Campus Ministry, they were in several schools in the North Carolina area and I think Virginia area. And they reached out. Um, I went to an event that they held at UNC Chapel Hill and that's how um, I became a Christian. So for me, mm-hmm. I was, you know, for me growing up, I was confused because I had a friend that was Pentecostal. My mm-hmm. one grandmother was AME Zion and one grandmother was Missionary Baptist. So I was confused mm-hmm. as to what to yeah, do. Yeah. And yeah. Um, my friend used to tell me as a kid, well, you know, if you don't accept Christ, you're going to get your hair chopped off and go to hell. <laughs> wow. Well, there you go. You know, that's mm-hmm. theology was all messed up. You know, I didn't understand. And um, and I knew they wore dresses all the time and didn't wear makeup, no yeah, and all yeah. this stuff. And um and I was like, I, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so oh. but this um ministry was able to connect with me intellectually. And um I, you know, and so that's how I, um, you know, came to faith, um, just 
you know, at one of their events that reached out to students and they spoke to me and I saw something different. Like I saw love. I saw um, students that look current, you know, that didn't look like my grandmother, you know, in that sense. And um, those things were the things I was looking for. You know, it could have been shallow in my in my looking but um, that's what reached out to me. And so that's how I came to faith. And um, I haven't learned, um, turned back since then. So I was about 20 years old. Hey, man. Praise the Lord. That is a wonderful uh, testimony and story. Like sure. when the Lord saves, he He saves to the uttermost, <laughs> regardless of the barriers <laughs> that, you know, that seem to present themselves. He is going to, when he calls you, you are his and he, he going to keep you. So that's wonderful, Tasha. Thank you so much for that. So talk to us about Be the Bridge. I mean, it sounds like the foundations obviously were laid um, in your in your life story. But how did you get to the point you're like, you know, what? no, I need to create, you know, an organization, um, a movement of some sort to 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 have a rallying point um, around racial reconciliation. So how did the bridge uh, be the bridge come to be? You know, um, th- that's so funny, because, you know, for what be the bridge, I never thought started. Um, my goal was never to create an organization. Um, mm-hmm. I was doing, I, um, after college, I moved to Atlanta and spent a lot of time in Atlanta. And um, I was in corporate America for several years. And then um, opportunity opened at my church. Um, I was okay. always serving faithfully within my church. Um, but I, <clears throat> when this opportunity opened, I got involved with, um, you know, speaking in schools and also with this work in human trafficking. And so I've always been one of those justice girls that's going to, if some, if I see something's wrong, I'm going to stand up. So in college, I was a part of this organization called Allies Blacks for Leadership and Equality. I was a part of the Minority Student Affairs, uh, where we would um, mentor um, other uh, minority students coming into the college. You know, so that thread was always there. And I've always been a just girl, you know. Um, mm. and, and so that thread has always been in me. And one of the things I, when I was on my, the church, the first um, church staff that I was on was a African American church in the Atlanta area. And I remember we were a, a little different and I would, we would um, go to like youth specialty, youth specialties conferences. And, um, you know, we were intersecting a lot of white spaces and that church was a little different. And in that, I used to feel like, okay, we would go to these conferences and it would just be us, <laughs> you know, it wasn't a lot of, um, you know, a lot of other minorities there. And, but the information was so good and we were able to kind of tweak it and use it in our, in our environment, um, because of the type of church that we had. And, um, but we would also go to some conferences that Tony Evans would have, you know, mm-hmm, um, and, mm-hmm. and, and I felt like we fit in so many different places in how we did ministry. We intersected with so many mm-hmm. other types of churches. And I used to always use the word um, to my staff then was, um, I feel like we're like a bridge, you know, like we can cross over and, you know, and I, I used to say that and we would always do things to connect. And we used to work with another um, uh, predominantly white church that was um, that our students went to the same um, high school. And so we would mm-hmm. do a lot of bridge building work with them. And even some of those relationships I still have to this day. And so that was just, a, I think, just a part of how I led, um, you know, uh, my my team then. Um, but really what happened was when I stepped outside of the um, the black, the predominantly black church environment, 
we we did a lot to be inclusive. Like on our staff, we had um, black and white. Um, you know, within our um, our our high school ministry, middle school ministry, we would we were very conscious and things that we said and how we did ministry because we did want to be inclusive. And <clears throat> and one of the things when we stepped out of when I stepped out of that. And I uh, went on staff in a white church environment. What I noticed um, was that the same um, that the same inclusivity, you know, in that sense, was not um, replicated. Mm. You know, and yeah, I yeah. noticed the divide, and um, I had to, you know, I just and it started bothering me in the sense where, um, you know, I didn't know what it was, and so you know, I'm. Eventually, I, I served in one church um, for about a year and a half in Atlanta. And then I started attending a church because I just felt this need to be in that white space. I have no idea why, <laughs> you know, but I just felt this pull, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm supposed to make mm-hmm. a difference. I, don't, I didn't know why I was going that route. Right. Um, eventually, I got a church offered a position in Austin and I felt like I was supposed to be in Austin, Texas. Didn't know why I was supposed to be in Austin, Texas. And mm-hmm. um, moved out there, but also feeling that thing like, wow, this, I am a definitely square peg and this is a round hole. You know, mm. this church was a little more traditional, um, you know, and they're thinking, I had no idea what a contemporary and a con- traditional service was, you know? I didn't, mm. You know, I thought everybody had contemporary service, you know? And so, but the spirits <laughs> rotted me, you know. But moving to from Atlanta to Austin, Texas, if you've ever been to Austin, it's a great city, um, but it's really racially divided. And so, I would mm-hmm. go, yes, uh, yes, and the churches are like that also. And so, I would go um, a full week and not see a brown person, you know. Um, and although we, our church had a, um, like a Hispanic church connected with it and, um, you know, it was just different. It was really different. Yeah. And, um, but for me, when I, when I'm on church staff, because of my experiences with my first church staff, I said, I was going to speak truth, you know, anywhere mm. I go, I'm going to tell you the truth. And so, right. um, things would happen and, you know, I'm going to speak to it. And so there was just comments that were made. And so I, I want to teach you, but I'm going to tell you the truth in how you make that comment. And so mm. um, there were just weird things that were said to the point where I, ha- I would ask some of my coworkers, have you ever worked with a black person before? You know, wow. like, have you ever had a black friend? And most mm. of them had not. And I guess because my upbringing was so diverse and being in Atlanta, there's a lot of diversity there, although it is segregated, too. Um, there were more intersections. Mm-hmm. And I really started seeing sure. that the reason why people have a lot of stereotypes and assumptions beginning is because you're not fellowshipping and you're not in relationship with anyone outside of your r- racial circle. And mm-hmm. um, and so that began to bother me to the point where, I don't know, I was just really, I call it like a holy discontent, you know, where mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. searching for fellowship with people who look like me, but it seemed like I was wanting me to be with people who were not like me. And, um, and then I saw 12 years of slave, you know, in this moment, you know, Trayvon Martin had happened, all these things had happened. Um, and for me, one of the, I, I, I would say the thing that catapulted, um, with be the bridge was, um, after watching 12 years of slave, I wanted to have some conversations 
And I started, you know, doing some Google um, conversations online. And um, just it started with my personal desire to um, to build bridges within the Austin area. And that mm. led me to a lady named Jenny Allen um, mm. and another friend mm. named Kim. And uh, we were having these conversations because I had attended her conference and just the lack of diversity really, really um, just bothered me within the church environment that, wow, here we are, you know, we had this Trayvon Martin just happened, you know, all these things that are happening in society and the church cannot even speak to it. We are not even a credible witness to the hurt Mm -hmm. and the pain. Like the world can't turn to us. And we say Jesus is the answer for everything, but the world could not see that in how we lived our lives. And for me, Mm -hmm. that convicted me, you know, maybe everybody else can live like that, but that really convicted me to the point where at least I feel like change and transformation starts with your personal self, you know, so it wasn't about trying to change other people, but it was about me really dealing with some of the things that I felt about white people and other people and even my own people dealing with that, what was in my heart first. And so, um, because one of the things, even working in this environment, I realized that I didn't trust white people, you know, even having grown up around white people, um, it was like, you be nice, you be cordial, but you don't trust. And so when you don't trust it, it sometimes it enables you um, not to love also, you know, and just just for my personal situation. And so um, Mm -hmm. I think God was really shifting some things, having me in this environment because I was getting to know um, white people, you know, um, really know even the depths of their culture and identity, because we know that because in order for us to survive, we intersect with their culture and identity. And we can probably tell you more about their culture and identity than they can you know, because we have to survive in it. And so um, through that process, um, connecting with Jenny, we decided, hey, let's get some of your friends together and some of my friends together and let's have this conversation. And I just really needed that community. Like I needed to understand and really Hmm. what was going on in my heart and what I sensed God was doing. And in this conversation, it really started shaping them. And I didn't know at the time, because our worlds are so segregated, I didn't know Jenny wrote books, you know, I didn't know she had a blog. I didn't know half of the people in our group were like known people in the oh, wow. white That's world. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, no, there's totally different worlds. Totally, I mean, it's totally oh, they, different They worlds. really are. They really are. And I think mm-hmm. they, they like that about us because we had no idea. So I wasn't fangirling because I didn't even know who you were, you know. And mm-hmm. no, that's real. And, um, yeah. and that's I didn't real. know the impact. Um, their voices could have. And it wasn't until we were in in these conversations that I realized that at a Catalyst conference one year, I won a Bible study, um, a small group study, and I was looking at my bookcase and I was like, oh, that's Jenny Allen. <laughs> you know, it wasn't until later on that I realized that. And so in these conversations, we were able to be real. We were able to be truthful. And um, it was really impacting them, how they parented, um, how they were hmm. in their ministry, um, all these different things. And so we were just doing stuff organically, grassroots. We were kind of using the, the restorative justice model and how we ha- had our conversations where we would hold a talking piece. And, you know, you couldn't interrupt. We had values for our group. We had a vision for our group, you know, all these things. <laughs> so 
I started for me, God really started developing me like this is something, Tasha. Like this is this is a part of who I created mm-hmm. you to be. But I was like, I was silenced yeah. because I know people who speak on this issue, you know, they die. They get ridiculed. You get blackballed. You know, and um, Mm -hmm. for me, I felt like I was too much of, and I'm just going to be real and honest, too much of a people pleaser. I like people to like me, you know, Mm. and I didn't feel like this was something that I could do because I don't like making people angry, you know. Mm. And so um, because I'm looking at the key, you know, MLK, he was a bridge builder, you know. And um, so as we had this conversation, it was their voices that really started pushing me like, you know, this is something and God was starting to really deal with me about this process, kind of looking at the process we had gone through with the group. And then in our we were already having our group discussions when Mike Brown happened. And, you know, I think yeah, that was a yeah. turning point for a lot of people sure, to turn sure. for me to see what was said about him within the church walls and see this oh, huge sure. divide um, in, in the church. And when you hear you know, um, you know, people just discount him, you know, okay. um, that bothered me, you know. And so we w- we had some real conversations in our group and they were able to see another side and another perspective mm-hmm. and how we mourn and how we lament. And that was impactful to them. And, um, you know, Jenny said, you know, she started writing about it and other people, I guess, started requesting like we want to be a part of a group like that. And it's like, no, this is our group and there's no other groups, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, um, but it never dawned on me to start groups until really, you know, I sat with her. We were just talking through my threads and my passions. And I was just really seeing like, okay, Lord, I know you brought me to Austin, but I was realizing mm-hmm. that the church that I was a part of, that wasn't it. Like there's something else. And you know, when you're not living in your purpose, that is, right. um, is really difficult. You know, it's like you're not at peace and you're not at rest when you're not living your purpose. And for mm-hmm. me, that's what I sense. And I had to, you know, everything that I've done, I've always had to sense, okay, God is with me. You know, this is what he wants me to do, you know. And I was just yeah. really conflict, conflicted at that time. And so um, I just remember God speaking to me, you know, I brought you to Austin to... Um, be the bridge. And I remembered that using that statement and what that meant to me when I was in Atlanta. And um, Jenny said, can you put together just a little guide or something that I can um, use, you know, at my conference? And, um, Mm. you know, and that's what I did. You know, she was like, I was like, okay, you know, I'll do it. You know, remember, you know, I'm a um, children's and youth pastor. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my perspective is going to be from that standpoint, you know. Um, And so she, you know, I put together something and she said, you know, I really think, you know, along with this, we should model the conversation kind of like what we've been doing. Let's model that at the conference. And I think you should leave that. And I was like, but it's your conference, you know, and um, Mm -hmm. because I was thinking in my head, this this white lady trying to put me out there and talk about race. And the backlash is going to come on me and not her. <laughs> you see, there go my trust issue. Girl. Yes, but that's, that's real. We, that, we the ones that, that get the, the might heat. be rooted in reality. I don't want to do this. And so um, it was so funny. 
Um, and she was like, what do I look like leading this conversation? This is my, not my conversation to lead. I will support you, but your voice has to be the voice in this. And I was like, well, you know, you're right <laughs> with that. And I, I was, I was very afraid and, you know, and, um, and so that's really what started it. We, I didn't realize, I knew she had a lot of people at her conference, but I didn't realize the magnitude and, um, the reach of her conference because of how it's simulcast. And we created that guide and, uh, we did the conversation. And I tell you, like that first week, we had like over 10,000 people download the guide. And mm. the response, when you, wow. you know, when that response happens, where you know, like, Something just happened here. Like something, God just ignited something um, in that moment. And wow. they felt it. Mm. Um, I could feel it, but I was trying not to feel it because I knew that meant that mm. this was going to cost me. Like this was yeah. something I was doing for myself and for those um, just in my immediate community. But this was something um, for everyone. And, um, mm. and that's wow. really what started Be the Bridge. It was organic. I, I didn't. You know, I had it sounds like you it. know, I had hmm. to start a nonprofit because um we had a guide and um we wanted other people to have the conversation. So when we told people to download the guide and begin having these conversations, um we I didn't actually think people were gonna do it. But yeah, yeah, but he did. did. And that's how it came about. And so we've had to go back now and put, you know, put and 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 bring um um more structure um to it and we're still a work in process. We're only um some people think we're we were already an organization when that happened. I didn't hmm. want to be the bridge until 2016, the organization. Wow. Gotcha. Wow. Gotcha. You know. Wow. And this wow. didn't start. We didn't have that conversation until 2015. So we're new. You know, although hmm. personally, I've been having the conversation for years. Um, sure. You know, but, for sure. you know, this is something new as an organization. So we're learning and we're growing hmm. and we're developing. And that's where we are. Awesome. Tasha, I was I was curious. Um as I was listening to kind of uh, your story, you know, even kind of the early childhood military influence and kind of you being in spaces where you can serve as a bridge and wanting to connect people, really having a heart and desire for that. People use the language of racial recon- reconciliation quite a bit. And um, I'm curious, you know, what is Tasha's definition of racial reconciliation? Because I imagine that is one of the things that's at the heart of Be the, be the Bridge and the work that you're doing. Um, so how, how would you define that term? Yeah, you know, I put moving toward um, racial reconciliation because I know um, the process of reconciliation, what it takes. And so a lot of times people think, oh, you need to have um, forgiveness and then you have reconciliation. That's the term. That's that's what people think. You know, um, having done a lot of work in Rwanda and different things, um, you know, you can't have um, racial reconciliation without racial justice. And so our conversation um, with this, we are like, I would say, the um, uh, one-on-one, two-on-one introduction to get people, to invite people to the table, you know, Mm. to begin um, understanding even the basic terminology of what racism is, because people don't understand. If you don't understand the basic terminology, you definitely don't understand what reconciliation requires. Um, because Absolutely. reconciliation mm-hmm. costs you 
and um and and not I'm just saying just cost you in um monetary you know uh, when we start talking about biblical justice and what that means um we try to get people to a, a point in the first part of our guide the first guide that we put out just to be comfortable with having um awkward conversations around race some people just the mention of race they think you're being racist you know, um, not understanding mm. that it's a social sure. and political construct. Like it's everything that we are. Like we live in a racialized society. People don't see that. So what we try to do is get people to see that first. And mm-hmm. we try to keep mm-hmm. it centered on the gospel, what the gospel says about, um, you know, reconciliation, what the gospel says about biblical justice. Because once you get people to that point, then what people have gone on um, as we grow in our groups is understanding mm-hmm. what advocacy means, understanding yeah. what re- reconciliation requires. And so what mm-hmm. I tell, what I kind of um, say is that, you know, we like to give you truth and, um, you know, truth, um, you know, is the, the prelude um, to justice, you know, mm-hmm. and justice mm-hmm. ushers in reconciliation. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of what mm-hmm. the model in which uh, we have these different processes that people go through. And I we talk about awareness. And then from awareness, mm-hmm. you go to acknowledgement because there's a lot of people who are aware, but they don't acknowledge. And then we discuss mm-hmm. that point that where people, when they begin to acknowledge, they have this, there's this overcoming of shame and guilt. What do I do with that? A lot of times that cuts people out because they get angry that you're blaming me. You know, but not understanding, you know, a part of that shame and guilt that you're feeling that that should be conviction. That should lead you to conviction, which leads you right. to doing justice and what that means. Mm-hmm. And so in um, in that part, you know, a lot of times people, you know, they bail out because they start feeling uncomfortable. Like I shouldn't feel shame. I don't have no ownership in this. This was something that happened before me. I didn't have responsibility for this, but yet and still not understanding that you've been benefactors. And because we lived in a racialized society, we are participants. We're complicit to um, this hierarchy that we participate in um, every day. And so, um, so we try to get people there, but you know, a lot of times, you got to have a lot of patience. And I think God has given me a gift of patience and he's given sure. me grace. And it's not that we sure. don't get angry. It's not that we don't get frustrated. But I think um, one of the things that um, through that, we use that to kind of um, to kind of guide us. And this is the type of world and the type of church we want to see. And, um, and that's how we do. And we, you know, a part of that... Um, that, that conviction should lead us to um, confession, confessing our part. It should lead us to, you know, repentance, you know, um, and then forgiveness. And then once we have those things, you know, um, you know, that adv- advocacy part, you can understand it. But people, if they don't know, <laughs> if they can't recognize what they're supposed to reconcile, you know, they don't even, they're not going to even, they don't even understand that process. People don't even see what's broken. So we have to show people what's broken first and, and where, um, you know, they have a misinterpretation of history. You know, we have to sure. dismantle that. So in this work, you have to do just as much um, learning as you do unlearning. And so I think that's where Be the Bridge comes along to kind of guide people in that. And then I feel like there's other places and other books and other resources that we point people to um, to continue this work. 
Sure. We're on sure. ramp. Excellent. I call it. <laughs> yeah. On no. ramp. That's very good. helpful. Very helpful. Yeah. Very helpful. Important to know, um, you know, where you are on that spectrum, you know, of, or pillar, I should say, of, um, uh, of racial reconciliation, where you stand. That's good. And so how would you say, um, I think I have a two-part question, actually. Um, number one, say, you know, the organization is Be The Bridge. How do you keep, um, because, you know, being a Black woman in predominantly white spaces, how is it that you keep from um, allowing the bridge to be your back? You know, and so how, you need, you know, it's like um, a, a bridge, you know, you're hoping that people are it's two directional. So it's like right. people are coming on, you're going the other way, but how do you keep it from uh, people, you know, just using your back to stand on um, and not, 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 not always recognizing maybe um, your full dignity or humanity. Is that a struggle at all um, with be the bridge for you where, where um, sometimes people may want to use you, you know, as, mm-hmm. Oh, I have my black friend. So I am like, you know, so now I do rec- racial reconciliation. I am aware I am woke. I am whatever you want to uh, uh, put in there. So how do you keep the bridge from being your back? Right. So how do you make sure that we're holding hands and I'm not being, you know, used or um, how, if that makes sense. Um, and then how do you gauge the effectiveness of be the bridge, especially in light of the election and in light of mm-hmm. what's, um, the, the racial climate right now. So how do you gauge the, the effectiveness and how do you keep the bridge from being your back? I think, yeah, I feel that as a, um, you know, as a black woman, uh, one of the things, you know, I was just at an event and I said, you know, with bridge building, you're going to get walked on from both sides. You know, it's tough, like mm-hmm. it's tough work because what we're trying to do is bring people together and that tension. So we're living in sure. the tension constantly because yeah. our message is not just for black people is not just for white people but it's for um our asian brothers and sisters it's for our native brothers and sisters, sure, it's for sure. everyone and so in that you can feel that tension because i'm a black woman i can't represent all those people you know mm-hmm. and sure, so sure. It, it really in that tension what i feel is we have to really constantly tell people okay it's not about us you know building a bridge to you, but it's also about you building a bridge back, you know? And so Mm -hmm. it's not just about us integrating. It's not about us integrating into your space, but you Mm -hmm. integrating also into our space. Now God has chosen for me to integrate into white space, but that's not how, how it always is. Like he may, he's calling. There's several people now, um, white people in our group that are actually attending predominantly, African-American churches are predominantly um, Asian churches. And so Mm -hmm. what I'm recommending now to people is because you have to do so much unlearning, you need to really get uncomfortable and you really need to examine why just like I can, if I can go to a white church and it's really the cultural expression of worship is counter to how I, um, how I truly relate to God and how I um, worship God in that sense, my heart language, if I can Hmm. do that, what more can you do? You know, when we talk about someone with a marginalized voice has been marginalized in society. If I can step into your space, clearly you can step into my space. And so, but people are really comfortable. So we try to speak truth to those things. Um, We try to, you know, really let people know, um, 
you know, these are the, these are some things that you can do to increase, um, to go beyond just diversity, but really start, you know, teaching others. And so we created, um, even a whiteness one-on-one, um, guide. So where people can understand their culture, their identity, because as I go around and speak, you know, I notice that, you know, predominantly white people don't know their culture. Most minorities, we know our culture and your culture as, as it relates to, to whiteness and what that means and how it operates mm-hmm. in our society, but that's not something that they know. And so we created a guide to kind of help with that. And so we've also, in the midst, we're creating, there's some some groups that people are starting before people get involved with Be The Bridge groups. They're doing the whiteness one-on-one um, to kind of help because a lot of harm can be done in the Be The Bridge groups when people are just coming to observe. And we and we always try to clearly say that we don't just need people on the bridge standing, you know, mm-hmm. observing. Mm-hmm. We don't need uh, we don't need any more people taking observation. You know, we want you learning, we right. want you reading, and we can tell who's doing the work and who's not doing the work. And so people who's doing the work, um, you know, we 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 know it and we and those are people that are are also when they're inboxing me and different things like that, those are the people that I respond to. But people who are just looking for someone to hold their hand and kind of teach them, that's not what we're here for. You know, we're going to point you in the direction where you're going going to get the information, but you got to do the work yourself. Nobody else can do the work, you know, for you. Mm -hmm. And some people get that concept and you're going to have people in a, you know, something that has grown like this has grown. You're going to have people that, feel entitled that someone else is supposed to teach me, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, but I can't, you know, we can't control that, but we can speak um, against it. And, and how we, we, we really look at our effectiveness. Um, I look at, you know, all of this is about life change and, you know, and so we're looking at ways we can measure that, but we also look at um, the groups that we have. Um, our groups are growing. We had, um, at least over um, 500 groups because our groups start and they stop. There's wow. a end. But what we're trying to do is this is not just about, oh, this is a small group curriculum and you do this and it's over. No, this is about a lifestyle. So we want you to develop relationships that will continue on until Jesus comes. You know, and so this is not a stop and a stop and start message. You know, this is a start message, and we want your life to be transformed. But I have to hold this with open hands in a sense because Tasha is not the one. I can't transform lives. I can't change lives. You know, it's the Holy Spirit that does that. And so we want to give you information and tools and create an environment where that can take place. Uh, we want people to continue. And of course, uh, we have people now, I look at, um, you know, a young lady who's involved in our group whose um, grandfather was the grand dragon of um, the KKK. And she's at the table wow. and she's doing the work because she wants that legacy of racism to stop with her Absolutely. family. And so those are, when I, I hear these stories, you know, American University now, um, is using the guide and, and having these conversations. Um, we have nine groups at Ole Miss. You know, they're students, you know, so they're being proactive. Mm-hmm. So if something breaks off and jumps off at their campus, they are already mm-hmm. having the conversation. So that's why we're actually developing a special guide for college campuses, even before all this stuff is happening, you know, at, U, um, at UVA and different places. But um, at OU, when the fraternity thing um um, jumped off. We were contacted by a group there that was already praying um, together 
um, because they have formed the Be The Bridge group. And so they were proactive in doing a prayer walk over their campus. Uh, same thing at Texas uh, A&M. You know, there were groups there. And when um, some minority students were visiting and they were called a racial slur, the, um, the president um, had to respond. The president, the student government president had to respond. And he was able, they were able to reach out to him to help him and how to respond to this matter. So it's about us equipping people and being proactive in this work. And so a part of the work, you know, I, I would love to just be called into minority space. Like, like for me, that's comfortable for me. And, you know, sure. and, and although it's not, it, there is a challenge there too. being called yeah. into all these, you know, white spaces is not something I choose, but it's something God chose for me. You know, and yeah. so um, that's how we kind of measure it is just seeing um, the life change and people telling us their stories and seeing the uh-huh. transformation where people are going from. Um, I'm learning and I'm growing to I'm teaching others that look like me about this message. And so and I'm you know, I'm we, we advise people to lead groups with other people of color. And so if you don't have a person of color in your life then that means you need to pause and pray. And I always tell people, you know, you work for the, you know, you, you believe God for that person of peace to come, you go seek out people. And, um, I had a young lady do that. I, um, had her go. I said, you know, you can go to this place and this place and not thinking she was going to do it because a lot of times you tell people to do stuff, they don't do it. And this lady did everything that I told her to do. And I said, you know, I went to college in that town and I um, Mm. became a Christian at this church. And I know there's some great people at that church. I'm not in contact with the church like that. And I, and she actually went to that church and started meeting with people. And the next thing I know, this girl was having a group. One of the ladies from the church is like leading the group um, with her. And there they have like six groups there in Greenville, North Carolina. So this is the stuff. This is how I, I say that change is happening. I don't feel like we're going to change, you know, the entire world, but we would change one person, one group at a time. It doesn't take a million people to, to start, you know, um, to change the world, but it's just a few. And so if I can have a faithful few, I'm okay. I'm okay with having, you know, 10 groups of be the bridge and I'm okay with having 500 groups of be the bridge. Yeah. Now Mm -hmm. it sounds like a great deal of, um, of kind of effort and thought just from a curriculum standpoint and an organizational standpoint, um, in order to create these spaces for people to to learn from each other. And it sounds like it kind of leans into, like you mentioned, kind of the intro ramp into racial right. reconciliation. It really leans into knowing self and forming genuine, authentic relationships yeah. seems to be kind of one of the cornerstones of, of this. And also another, another piece, right, is that, um, you know, we don't have growth without some degree of pain or discomfort or struggle, mm-hmm. right? And so the being in the different space and, and interacting uh, cross-culturally and interculturally, that tension, that frustration, um, that actually can grow us up. That can actually strengthen us in some ways. So it sounds like those spaces are, are, are imploring people to do that. I was curious. I know that you had mentioned Rwanda a little bit ago in our conversation today, Tasha, and I was I, I had heard from the internet that there were there there was a there was a group of fabulous black women uh, who all went to Rwanda to serve, and I believe you were one of them. So, 
Could you share a little bit of that story with us and maybe just a, just a touch about maybe how that, um, that global perspective impacts ministry here domestically for you? Yeah, um, that was my fourth trip to Rwanda. Um, I love that country. And um, mm. so Amina Brown and I, we actually are really good friends. And she actually yeah. went last year um, through If Gathering. So If Gathering, they partner with an organization called Africa New Life. And the cool thing about Africa New Life that I don't know if people know is that they are led by Rwandans. They have a stateside mm-hmm. ministry. Mm, yeah. um, they have a stateside ministry that's um, um, ran by Pastor Charles. Um, and then he, but there's also their state side is predominantly white on this side. They're based in Oregon. Um, I think he went to, um, Multnomah, um, um, seminary out there. Um, but the organization as a whole is ran by, um, him and his brother, Pastor Fred over in Rwanda. And so when you touch down in Rwanda, you are greeted by just the most brilliant, um, spectacular, people that you would mm. ever want to meet um, and to see mm. the work that his church, Africa New Life, is doing. And so they do church planting and school planting. So they plan a school, they plan a church, um, they have vocational programs. So what we did was a learning exchange with them where we wanted to learn from mm. them and how they're doing their ministry work and how they're changing their country um, to really be able to, what can we glean from them um, the work that they're doing, that God is using them to do in Rwanda, how can we do that um, here in the States? And we want it, uh, we know that um, going to Africa is not, a lot of Black people don't go. And so we wanted to host a group of uh, Black women to do that, um, to do this learning exchange, because we know that even with a lot of the missions trips, they don't see us, you know, sp- specifically Black women. They don't, um, a lot of other uh countries they don't see us and so that was something different for them that was the first trip of this kind that um african new life ministry hosted and so we were able to even speak into some things that you know they have a seminary school there um in rwanda um we were able to speak into some things and we're actually working on another trip um to take more people to and also working on a a pastor's trip to take um um African-American pastors uh, to see what's happening there and how um, we can get involved and and really glean. And so for me, um, you know, how that affects the bridge building work, I look at the work that they're doing in their community and how they're still um, recovering from, um, you know, colonization, you know, Um, they're recovering from um, the reign of right supremacy within their country um, also. And, and, you know, and how the things that their government has had to do to adjust um, to the work of reconciliation, how they they used a special um, model of um, restoration, restorative justice as they dealt with their genocide. And and um, then we also see the harms that that um, that hate and, uh, and that white supremacy could lead to where it, it put group against group, the divide and conquer. And that's what I don't want to see here in the States because that's always a strategy um, among um, people of color is of Mm. white supremacy is to divide and conquer. So if we can be divided because we're, we're stronger together. And so I'm really careful in how um, I try to lift up every group 
you know, even if we don't see eye to eye, we have different missions and visions. I'm not going to down talk my brothers and sisters that are out there doing the same work that I'm doing because I know that that is a strategy. Um, this you, yeah, they're just somewhere else within like kind of the continuum or exactly. methodology. Yeah, sure. no, excellent. Um, th- I think you bring up a really good point too, Tasha, about um, kind of a divide and conquer. Uh, style that we see between people um, that maybe kind of in group, you know, ethnically or racially in in a a kind of a racialized system in which people want to splinter them or have people kind of pick sides and and define um, this is right or this is wrong. And so I think that is a a really helpful reminder for us to to see and understand that we're all at different places potentially in our methodology, but working for some similar goals. And um, someone who is working on maybe entry level ramp one, ramp two, um, may not say or function in the way that someone's at who's like ramp five. Right. <laughs> right. 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 But we need all those ramps. You need all those ramps. Absolutely. We need priestly and prophetic. But the thing is, I, I'm, I'm a... I am a natural bridge builder. And so it doesn't, for me, it's not something that I have to strive to be. It's just, a, it's the essence of who I am, you know? And so it's a part of my yeah. personality. Anyone in my family will tell you when stuff, you know, how in the family stuff breaks off, you mm. know, I'm, 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 I'm yeah. in the middle. Okay. Well, I, I understand this side. I understand. I've always been like that. you know. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're bridging. You're yeah. Bridging. So I've always yeah. been like that. And, you know, so really we need spaces for, um, just, you know, for just black people, we need spaces where, um, we can intersect. We need spaces just for Asian people. You know, we need these spaces. I'm talking, you know, to an Asian young lady that reached out to me that grew up, she was raised mm-hmm. adopted and just had just really struggling with her identity and wanted, you know, Asian, other Asian women that she could reach out to. And so we were able through our ministry to connect her to some mentors that are talking to her and, and one, another one that was adopted that had this further along than her that can kind of help her. So those are the type of things, you know, when we talk about bridge building, you know, it's even a lot of stuff that's happening behind the scenes um, as it relates to that work. Yeah, that's great. That is great. Well, you know what, Tasha? Um, the time has come for our sound off segment. Yeah. I was like, we need a little horn or something. <laughs> but, you know, uh, we, we, we just, we want to get your, your thoughts, um, just on what has transpired, um, on the UVA campus in Virginia, um, in Charlottesville, Virginia. So just give us your thoughts. I saw that you were tweeting quite a bit more than you <laughs> usually do. And so I wanted to, you know, get your, your, your thoughts and your perspective on what happened there, uh, this weekend. So please, I, the floor is your, the I table think Charlottesville, <laughs> I will say this. I don't think anyone on this, um, on this, this call right now is surprised about Charlottesville. Um, uh, we saw this mm-hmm. brewing, yeah. um, right. A while ago. Right. And, and and for me, I've been mm-hmm. telling even my church that I want you to, we have to be the headlights in this, not the taillights. I'm telling you, there's more to come. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I said, we got to mm-hmm. get out in front of this. You got to yeah. start educating and equipping and speaking to this in your churches. Or again, mm-hmm. we are going to be on the wrong side of history and we're not going to, we're going to be reactive instead of proactive. And so that's what this work is about. And so when Charlottesville happened, I'm not surprised because we've seen um, racism emboldened. It's always been there. 
Um, you know, but I'm, I don't want people to mistake it. And this is one thing that I will say. I don't want you to mistake what's happening in, um, in Charlottesville for that's the only type of racism that we're concerned about. Okay. Our people have had to deal with torches and, you know, people chanting racial slurs, you know, for centuries. So that's not something that we are not used to seeing. I know for some of us, the, you know, the um, younger generations, this is their first, you know, look at something like this, but that type of racism is obvious. We know that, but what we're concerned about is, you know, in the pulpits and within government, people who are complicit, who are not bold enough to do that, but their methodology mm. and their their worldview backs and supports that. Their policy backs and supports that same type of rhetoric. And because people don't understand what racism is, mm-hmm. they don't understand the definition about it being about systems, the misuse of power of systems and institutions. So when we're talking about voter, you know, suppression and all these different things, like that's racism. That that is racism in our yeah. eyes with the torch. When you're, um, mm. you know, when you're talking about redlining and how we redline districts and different things like that, you mm. know, all these hot button topics that we're right. talking about now, um, even with the DOJ and all those things, <laughs> all these things are related, and they have these pockets. Sure. You know, where they put things, you know, they separate and put them into different buckets and thinking these are different buckets, but these are the same buckets where they cannot connect what is happening in our government to what happened in Charlottesville and how that's been emboldened. And so, you know, for me, I think, you know, we should be speaking out against this, not just in times of conflict, but when we think things are peaceful and we don't need to be talking about peace until we you know, justice will usher in peace. Peace does not usher in justice, you know? And so that's the thing that we, we need to understand. So my heart goes out to um, the young lady who lost her life in this and um, all the people, the young yes. brother that was beat up um, brutally um, and his assailants have not been uh-huh. caught. And we got people on social media really trying to right. be the investigators to find out who did this to this young man. Doing the work of the police, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I'm praying for that community in Charlottesville that this will be a uh, Charlottesville that this will be a turning point, but also a turning point Mm. for other cities where the same stuff is brewing. You know, we we wait till there's a hashtag and a headline, but we need to get out in front of this because eyes have not seen, you know, the things that Mm. white supremacy can lead us to do and to. And these were young yeah, people, my friend. Out. These were young people. These were not old people. Oh, these yeah. were twenty-year-old um, college students, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that same type of rhetoric, rhetoric. Well, we can disavow that, but we also, if we disavow KKK and neo-Nazism, you know, all those different things. We need to disavow those policies that lead to that type of mindset. Mm-hmm. So um, that's my take on right, Charlottesville. Right. Um, that if we want, don't want to see that anymore, we have to speak truth to power in our spheres of influence and we have to get out in front of this. And you got to educate yourself. You got to get outside of these boxes. You got to listen to the voices of the, um, of the marginalized. You got to listen to, to people of color because we, we called this two years ago, right? You know, we've been saying this. <laughs> yeah. We've been talking about this, but nobody listens. And so country. you got to, Listen, I mean, look where not listening has gotten this this country. You know, we're mm-hmm. an unrepentant mm-hmm. nation. 
you know, we're unrepentant mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and we try to skate over history and what we're dealing with history has led to what we saw in Charlottesville. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Wow. You know, history is in the exactly. past, it but it's in the present. Our present. So. We breathe it. Absolutely. Every day. Well, Tasha, you, you sounded off. You sounded up. You sounded all around. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for Thank expressing you. that Thank to you. us. Yes, thank you so much. Seriously, um, and and yeah, you're right. We got we got to stay ready. Stay ready, yeah. so you ain't got to get ready. Um, because un- under this regime, you never know what's gonna yeah. happen. Every day yeah. is different. So, uh, so thank you, thank you so much. And tell us, tell um, one more question. Tell or tell our listeners how they can contact you on social media. Can they? Uh, do you accept donations for uh, be the bridge? Like, just oh, yeah, give your time to plug that. and let us know how. how yeah, let us know this. how you're. I forget that I run a 501c3, you know, (laughs) Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, what we're doing now is you can, you can follow me at um, Latasha Morrison, Tasha Morrison, and you can also follow Be A Bridge Builder. We're on um, Facebook and also on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, So you can follow us there. We have, we do have a Facebook group. Uh, We're very picky in who we let into that group. And that, and I just have to put trigger warning out Mm. there. That group has a lot of new people to this work because it's an own ramp. And so it's triggering Mm. for a lot of people Mm -hmm. of color. So if you're a person of color and Uh you're not into helping educate or, you know, this right now is not the season for you to do that. um, I would say, you know, don't sure. feel like you have to be a part of that particular group, you know, but we also do have a, a, a people of color care group um, that we're looking for some leadership for, you know. Mm-hmm. So those are some ways that you can get involved through social media. We are a 501c3. We're currently trying to make videos to go along with our guide. So if you would like to give towards um, Be the Bridge, okay. um, you can do that. Um, I Recently, um, I was on staff at a church. I just took the plunge to do this work um, full time and got a lot of stuff in the work. Stuff that I'm doing now, I definitely took the plunge, <laughs> you know, and um, so because I believe in oh, this, wow. um, this work. So I'm still working alongside my church and working within churches. But um, this gets frees up my time to do more traveling and do some stuff and partner with other organizations and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so we're online. We're on our website is be the bridge dot com or be a bridge builder dot com. And you can find out more about what we're doing and um, would love to hear from you and, um, you know, and I just want to, I have to do this, you know, ladies, just want to shout out to all the people who listen. You guys have been a, um, healing bomb for so many, uh, women of color, mm-hmm. just the topics that you're hosting. And I know for me, even, you know, being in this work for me, this has been a refuge. Your conversations have been a refuge. Your voices have been a refuge. And um, so we love you so dearly. So I'm definitely praying for you and your work um, as you pray for me. Absolutely. Well, we're going to pray for you right now, Tasha. And um, Lord God, we just thank you for Tasha. We thank you for the way that you fit together this life story, this journey of uh, difference and obstacles and that you have 
put into her this desire to be a bridge and a peacemaker, one that requires at times very real sacrifice for her. And Lord, I ask that you would just uh, continue to pour into her uh, your spirit and that you would give her even more love and that you would surround her with people and resources that she might go about doing this work of reconciliation. We know that her work ultimately points to you, Jesus, as the true reconciler, that man might be reconciled with God. Um, And we know that that work came about through real self-sacrifice through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray for people like Tasha and all our dear sisters who are uh, really in the throes of self-sacrifice and trying to be winsome and loving and factual um, and to show people a way in which they might honor and dignify the intrinsic dignity of their neighbor. Um, Lord, we just thank you for her work. And we ask that, as I said, Lord, that you provide what she needs to move from day to day to bring you glory, to serve your people, to shine her light. Uh, It is in your name that we pray. Amen. 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 Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Tasha, for having a seat at the table with us. Seriously. And to our listeners, we thank you also for having a seat at the table with us this week. Thank you. Please follow (laughs) Latasha on Twitter and Instagram at Latasha Morrison and BA Bridge Builder. Okay, so you can find her on Twitter and Instagram at um, both of those um, handles. And her website is latashamorrison.com. And there's beabridgebuilder.com as well. So you can find her on the internet streets. And so thank you again, <laughs> Tasha. <laughs> and so uh, thank you. Thank you for ha- for uh, being with us. And of course, let's keep the conversation going to our listeners please use the hashtag truth table when you're interacting with us on this black girl magic uh, interview mm-hmm. uh, follow us on twitter and instagram at truth table or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com don't forget to rate and review the show on itunes and subscribe on the Satch- satchel podcast player our producer for this show is joshua heath and our executive producer is Bo york special thanks to the reformed african-american network and Pottery studios we have been your hosts Akemini and Christina. (laughs) We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.